Thank you for checking out the sermon at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are, and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing through our church. Once again, thanks for checking out this sermon. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Don't you love coming in here and worshiping? Isn't Teddy and the choir great? I love, I love coming in here and worshiping with them. I don't know what you do on a Sunday. For some of you, you're coming straight from work, or maybe you're like me and you just got up from a couple hours of a, of a nap, and uh, that's awesome. Um, I'm going to put that in that song. A nap is awesome as well on a Sunday. I love just uh, relaxing on Sunday. I don't know where you're coming from, but no matter what it is, it is always an honor and a privilege to be led by Teddy and the choir to the presence of God anytime we come here. And so I thank you. Today has been a, a powerful day. Many, many decisions have been made uh, for Christ. Uh, it's good to see you tonight. What a great crowd on a, for the night crew, huh? Don't tell the people on Sunday morning, this is my favorite. This is, you're my favorite, all right? So I know you're not supposed to play favorites with services, but you're my favorite because about now I am, I am rested and I'm ready, and uh, it, it's going to be a, a good night. Um, let me ask you a question as we begin tonight. What was the greatest gift that you ever received from somebody? The greatest gift. Now, I'm going to get the Sunday school answer out of the way. The answer can't be Jesus, okay? Of course, that's the greatest gift, right? But I want you to think in a, in a, in a word or two, think of an answer, the greatest gift. All right? Now turn to the neighbor and tell them what that is. All right? You may have to move closer to somebody, but that's okay. All right? Tell them the greatest gift you've ever received. It's great to see all you men turn to your wives or girlfriends and say, you are, honey. I, I'm really trying to help you out, guys. I set that one up. I gave you a softball toss, and uh, you should have knocked it out of the park with that. If you said something like, uh, you know, the, the game of operation or something at Christmas, that, you, you failed at that. But uh, gifts are incredible. The, the, my favorite gift that I ever received, I, I believe, uh, was in 2005. Uh, my wife and I, Jessica, we received Noah, our adopted son. And the events leading up to that, it was a, a tough season. It was a valley uh, leading up to that, a lot of crying went into that, a lot of praying, a lot of meetings leading up to adoption. For those of you that have ever gone through that, it is a, a painstaking event. A lot of people give you advice. So we received a lot of great advice. We received a lot of bad advice. And we just pursued toward what God was telling us to, to adopt. And uh, we got a call one day from a teenage couple and uh, they really had a choice between going to Planned Parenthood or going to the Crisis Pregnancy Center. And they chose to go to the Crisis Pregnancy Center. And the Crisis Pregnancy Center put them in contact with us. And in an open adoption, we were able to adopt 
uh, Noah. And uh, it was really a, an interesting process. We actually went through an interview with them. And they, within minutes of that interview, they chose us. And uh, within months, we were at the hospital for uh, the day of delivery. And it was, I had two previous kids. And this was, the process leading up to this was not the same. And here I am at the hospital with Jessica waiting on our son to arrive. And here's this teenage couple, you know, the biological parents. So it was awkward. Yeah, it was something I couldn't really prepare for. The classes couldn't even prepare us for it. And uh, here we were. And I remember just in, sitting in the waiting room with James, the, 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 the teenage father. And uh, I think he thought that it was just going to be like 45 minutes and then the baby would be here. And so he brought some peanuts and he was done with those. And a few hours went by, and I said, you hungry, James? And he said, yes. We walked down, and we talked a little bit about his faith. We talked a little bit about uh, where he had grown up. And, uh, and I bought him a, a hot pocket. It was just, it was interesting. I, there was nothing open. And so there was a machine there that served hot pockets. And I encourage you, don't, don't buy hot pockets from a machine, but that's what we did. And he ate it, and a few hours went by, and I got him another hot pocket, and we talked. And, and he told me, he said, you know... Here's what I want. I want you to pray for my son every night. Before he goes to bed, would you pray for him? I never had a dad that would do that. And so I made that commitment to him. And a few moments later, we got the news that Noah was born. And we went into that room. And Noah was in this little incubator. And we walked up. And there was a light on him. And he opened his eyes for the first time. And he looked up at his parents, Jessica and me. And uh, cried, and then he stopped crying, and Jessica's crying, I'm crying, and it was a powerful moment. A couple days went by, and it was time for them to leave the hospital, and, uh, and that was awkward, you know, everything about the whole process was awkward, and here's the birth mom that is about ready to be wheeled out with, with Noah, and here's Jessica, and she's just becoming overwhelmed with emotion. In a, in a few moments, Nicole is going to hand her baby to Jessica, my wife. And uh, so she gets kind of white in the, in the face. And I said, you okay, honey? And she goes, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling good. And so we got her a, a wheelchair. And so literally we pushed out the birth mom, Nicole, and Jessica, the adoptive mom, out to the van. And uh, the exchange happened where Nicole gave Noah to Jessica. And, and, and I was busy in the minivan trying to get the, the seat arranged. You know, I forgot how those things fit in there. And, and I, we placed Noah in that in that seat. That was the greatest gift that I experienced. And I think it was because of the process involved. The process, the, the fact that God's grace, his gift came into a moment when we were experiencing tremendous hardship. And there is something powerful about going through the valleys of life and having God's grace meet you in that valley. There is something about that that makes those gifts all the more powerful and I want to speak to you about that tonight. I, I want you to write down one word tonight. If you don't remember anything else, write this word down, grace. I want to talk to you about grace. Grace is a gift. And we come to the end of 1 Peter, a letter that we have been in for many, many months. And if this is your first time here at Hope, welcome. We're concluding this book in 1 Peter. And we find these last few verses in 1 Peter 5. So you can turn there if you have a Bible, either on your phone or, or, or like I do, and turn to 1 Peter 5. Last week, Pastor Vance 
or Pastor Travis uh, presented a, a powerful message, and Travis talked about the fact that we have victory, and we are living from victory, not for victory. And he read this passage in 1 Peter 5. He said, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The God of all grace. When Travis read that last week, it just leaped off the page to me. And I saw that word grace and began to think about the, the author of this book. I began to think about the man of Peter, the, the fact that God chose Peter to write this book going through hard times and the grace that comes to us in the midst of those hard times. When you think about Peter, you think of a, a man that needed a lot of grace. He had a lot of failures in his life. He, when he was called to be a disciple, he, he's, he's a fisherman, and, and Jesus asked him to go fishing and to drop the nets in into deep water, and, and Peter questions Jesus. He says, we've been fishing all night, Jesus. And so the relationship begins between Jesus and Peter, this loving relationship towards Peter and this questioning from Peter at times. And Peter sometimes would protest Jesus. When Jesus was predicting his coming death, Peter rebuked Jesus. And, and, and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. And then Peter reacts once when Jesus was arrested right before he was crucified. And Peter reacts and he takes his sword and he cuts the ear off of a soldier. So Peter is constantly reacting, living out of his flesh, living out of his pride. And the night before the crucifixion, Jesus said that somebody would deny him, and Peter said, I would never do that. Only in a few minutes to have him deny Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. When you read Peter, and you read the life of Peter, you would think, that God would not choose Peter to write a book on grace. But isn't it great that God's ways are not our ways? His thoughts are not our thoughts. Aren't you glad that his thoughts about you are not your thoughts about you? I'm going to say that again. Aren't you glad that God's thoughts about you are not your thoughts about you? See, Peter, he was... He was struggling. How in the world could, could I be loved by Jesus? I've denied him three times. And Jesus goes to him, and he meets him by the water again, by a fire, and he talks to him about feeding his sheep. And he says it three times. And he wasn't saying it three times to get it, Peter. He was saying it three times to let him know that no matter how many times you fail, Peter, my love will be there for you. No matter how many times you fail, Jesus' love and his grace is there. And so we end this book in 1 Peter, verse 12 of chapter 5. And I want to read this. It says, Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon chosen together with you Send you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you, all who are in Christ. And now I want you to go to 1 Peter 1, and I want to read the first two verses of this book. 1 Peter 1. And the reason I want to show you this is because I want to show you how Peter started it. 
He ends with grace and he starts with grace. He says, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. So what transforms this? This prideful man, this man that had failed, it's grace. It's emphasized in the beginning of the book. It's emphasized at the end of the book. And then in 2 Peter 3, 18, at the very end, the last words we see of Peter in the Bible is this, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace. I have two points on grace tonight. And the first is the overarching one. But I just want to tell you ahead of time, my two points on grace is a meager attempt to capture grace. As a matter of fact, I can't give you in words all that grace is. You have to live it. Grace is not a theological principle. Grace is not some kind of a precept that we think about and and, and some kind of a truth that's out here. Grace is found in the person of Jesus. And so it is hard to, to, to capture all that in two points, but I, I want to attempt it. And the first aspect of grace, the first dimension of grace is this. By God's grace, I am set free from sin, and I'm made alive in Jesus. By God's grace, I am set free from sin and made alive in Jesus. At age 13, I realized my need for grace. I was at camp similar to how some of you were at camp this past week. And, and it was the last night of camp, and, and I gave my life to Christ. I realized in a moment, as the pastor was preaching, that there is a holy God, and I am separated from him. I realized that I had sinned. And as he talked, he, I remember him saying that it only takes one sin to separate you from God. And I figure by age 13, I'd done a lot more than one. And I don't know about you, but but I bet you you've had more than one sin. All of us fall short of the glory of God. And so as I was sitting there, I remember hearing, for by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. I'd been going to church my whole life, but going to church does not save you. There are a lot of unbelievers that are members of churches all across America. They don't know Jesus. There are people here tonight that have gone to church your entire life, but you are separated from God. You've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you're like me at age 13. And as I sat there and the music began and I, I stood up, I came forward and I met Jesus for the first time. I exchanged my life for his. I turned from my sin in my life and I exchanged that with Jesus. And I believe that he died on the cross for all of my sins. Whether it be one or a million, he took them all on the cross, and I was saved in that moment. Now, I don't know if you're saved, but you may have had the same experience I had. Maybe it was at camp. Maybe it was at vacation Bible school. Maybe it was later in life. I don't know. But you have that time when you accept Christ, and then there is the day after. The day after is when you still live in the habitual life that you've been living, and you, you, you begin to 
continue in that sin. I don't know, has anybody ever experienced that? You just walk out. I mean, it's not like you just walk and all of a sudden there's this light that that covers you everywhere you go. You're going to work, you're going to school, you're going with friends, the same places, yet you're saved. So it was a struggle that I had. As a matter of fact, I began to to walk in sin once again, and I I would sin. And I, I literally thought that I had lost my salvation. That's not biblically true. When Jesus comes in, you're saved. You, you're a child of God. You, you can't lose your salvation. You can't lose this grace. See, it's not dessert. It's not through your works. It is given by his grace. But I struggled with it. It's similar to this, this illustration I want to show you. And if the camera can kind of go in. You see, when I accepted Christ, I was saved. And Christ was pure. And he made me clean. And that's a wonderful experience. But as I left camp, I began to sin. I began to do things that I knew very familiar with. And I began to walk in my sinful life again. The Bible calls it really uh, the old nature. I began to walk in that. And as that sin began to cloud my life, I I, I experienced tremendous guilt. I don't know if you've ever done that. You continue to sin and you begin to walk further and further from God. And actually for about a year, I struggled after camp. And some of you are here today and you've, you've gone to camp and you, you need to know this, that God's grace is kind of like this water. God's grace is continuing to, to overflow in your life. As a matter of fact, Romans says that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. That word grace abounds all the more is literally super abounds. You see where your sin is now, God's grace covers it. And it continued to to cover me. Even when I didn't realize that it covered me, I was walking in God's grace. I remember a conversation I had with my dad one day when I was 15. he He said, Brian, look at that bumper sticker in front of us. And the bumper sticker read, sinners saved by grace. That's what the bumper sticker said. And he said, do you believe that reality? And I said, yeah, I believe that reality. He goes, do you believe that you are a sinner? And I said, yes, I do. And he pulled the car over. And he told me something I'll never forget. He said, you're not a sinner. You're a saint. And I'll never forget that time. Because it it helped me realize that no matter what I do, no matter what sins I commit, I am not a sinner. I am a saint. It is his purified, holy life that gives me my identity. I am chosen. I am part of a royal priesthood. I am not a sinner. I am a saint. And those of you that are believers, you are also a saint. You see, Peter, all the way through, actually the first couple of chapters tells us about our identity in Christ. And the reason he tells us about our identity is because he knows we're going to go through hard times. And he doesn't want us to respond to the hard times in our flesh. He wants us to know who we are in Christ. You see, we walk in God's grace. We don't walk in our, in our flesh. Does that make sense? So I want to talk to you briefly about this grace. Wayne Grudem has a great quote. He says, the entire Christian life is one of grace. God's daily bestowal of blessings, strength, help, forgiveness, 
and fellowship with himself. All of which we need, none of which we ever deserve, all is of grace every day. From continual trust in that grace and from continual obedience empowered by it, Christians must not move, rather stand fast in it until the day of their death. There is no way to fully define grace, but grace simply is the entire Christian life. Christ in you and you in Christ. I want to talk to you about this second dimension of of grace. By God's grace, I have the empowering presence of Jesus for any situation. You see, when I was 13, and I was saved by God's grace, it took me a while to realize the same grace that saved me is the same grace I walk in every single day. You see, it's not a matter of me getting saved and then trying really, really hard to live the Christian life. For some of you that are here tonight, you've been trying really, really hard to live the Christian life. How's that going for you? It doesn't work. It's not about trying. As Pastor Travis said, it's about trusting in Christ. It's about trusting in his presence. It's about trusting in his strength. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and 10 is a powerful, powerful chapter that talks about not only the saving grace, but the empowering grace that we have in Jesus Christ. Verse 9 says this, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What does that mean? When I am weak, I am strong. What that means is when I, Brian, am weak, Christ is strong in me. In the moments of your weakness, that is an opportunity for Christ to be all that he is in your moment. Whatever moment, whatever situation you are facing, that's the time that Christ comes in through the power of his Holy Spirit and empowers you to walk this life out. Jerry Bridges says this about this grace. So we see grace for believers has two complementary means. First, it is God's unmerited favor to us through Christ, whereby salvation and all other blessings are freely given to us. Second, it is God's divine assistance to us through the Holy Spirit. The first aspect of grace focuses on God's grace as the source of all blessings, and the second focuses on God's grace expressed specifically as the work of the Holy Spirit within us. I can stand firm and go through anything that life has because I have God's empowering presence in my life for any situation. Hebrews 4.16 talks about this grace. For some of you, you think God is right now on his throne looking out to get you, to find your weakness, to find your problems, to, to find your sin, and that's not grace at all. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews 4.16, we see that God is on his throne, but it is called the throne of grace. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help 
in our time of need. For many of you here, you're going through the toughest time of your life. You didn't come tonight to hear music. You didn't come here tonight to hear a sermon. You may not even come here tonight to get some barbecue. You came here tonight because you needed Jesus. You needed something. I met a lady this morning. She didn't even know what she needed. She she knew she needed something, and she knew that maybe a church had it, and she came this morning. You may be like her. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what weakness you find yourself in, but God is there in your moment of weakness. And part of grace is this. You've got to be willing to receive this empowering grace. You've got to be willing to say, God, I am weak and you are strong. That's hard for some people. That's hard for men. I'm telling you, that's hard for men. Ladies, I don't know about you. I gave up a long time ago trying to figure out, lady, I don't know what you're going, but I'm telling you with men, with men, this is extremely hard. You see, we have a view of God and his grace that is like God helps me when I can't do it all. I mean, I'm strong. I can do it. I have this job. I have this career. I have this many cars. I have these houses. I got it, I got it covered, God, but there's one little area I need you to help me in, and that's not what God's speaking of with his empowering grace. God will empower you in the moment when you are at the end, when you are willing to say, I can't do it. I've been uh, working out with Travis. Uh, have you seen Travis lately? <laughs> he's getting big, and uh, he's strong, and, and I've been working out. I don't know if you could tell. Um, I've been at it for four days, all right? <laughs> and, um, and, I, and I look at the mirror, and it feels like it's getting bigger, but it's not. I, I, I was looking at my tricep this morning, and uh, at a certain angle, it looked great. And, and when we go to the gym, Travis, he, he pretty much um, pillages the entire gym for weights and puts them on his, his uh, whatever that's called, the bar. And, um, and he lifts it. And then it's my turn. And uh, I don't need the weights. Matter of fact, I don't need any weights. I just do the bar. And, uh, and, and sometimes I spot him. As a matter of fact, I was spotting him the other day, and I thought, if he needs help, he's in trouble. And I was... I was lifting it, you know, and I, and I helped him out, and then he would, he would spot me, which was very easy. And a lot of times, we look at God's grace that way. We look at his empowering grace like God's grace is, is spotting us. Like, I got it, God, but sometimes I need help. Sometimes I need you to, to help me when I'm sick, or I need help in this relationship, or well, I'm having a tough semester at school. I need you to, to help me. Now, we wouldn't say that, but that's how we act. Our lives are not of a relationship with God to where God's empowering presence is always empowering us. But, but Jesus Christ is, is going to empower you when you're done living your life. He's there for his presence when you need his presence. Some of you have heard my testimony, and you can go back and, and watch it online. But there was a time in my life in 1995 where in a matter of six months, I lost my father to cancer. My wife walked out, and I lost my two kids in the midst of a divorce. All in a matter of six months, while being a youth pastor at a church with 800 kids in the youth group. 
and having to make it every single day at a church that gave me tremendous grace. But I'm telling you, there were days I just wanted to give up. And it was in that moment of coming to the end of Brian Hook that I realized one thing. At the end of it all, at the end of my life, I found something that was there when I was 13, was there when I was 18, has been there every single moment of every day of my life, and is this, Jesus. Jesus' presence is enough for you. And you've been looking at life in a lot of different things, but let me tell you, you're not going to find the abundant life in relationships. You're not going to find it in work. You're not going to find it in anything else except Jesus Christ. And Jesus knows when he is your everything. You may say he's your everything, but he knows when he is your everything. And when you are at the end of yourself, he will be there. And you will find that his grace is sufficient for you. His grace is overflowing for you. A few years ago, I was speaking at a conference in Toronto, and I heard about this Niagara Falls. I had read about it. I'd heard about it. I'd studied it, but I'd never been to Niagara Falls. So a friend, a friend of mine and I, we got away for the afternoon, and we, we drove there to Niagara Falls. And, and when I got there, I got out of the car, and before I could see Niagara Falls, I felt it. I mean, the mist started hitting my head, and I'm probably a mile away from Niagara Falls. As I got closer, I heard this roar, and then I saw Niagara Falls. It was amazing. It was on the Canadian side. I had never seen something so powerful in all my life. Do you know that 20% of all fresh water flows over Niagara Falls? 750,000 gallons per second flow over Niagara Falls. I didn't know all that, those statistics when I saw it. I just knew that this was big. And it was mighty. And as I looked at Niagara Falls, this is what God told me as I looked. That's my grace. He gave me a picture of his grace. He gave me a picture of his saving grace. He gave me a picture of all of his blessings that flow from heaven. He gave me a picture of his sustaining grace. He gave me a picture of his empowering grace. You see, when I looked at Niagara, I realized that I had been living my life coming to God with this, with this little, little Dixie cup, hoping that maybe he could meet me at my time of need. Hey, God, I, I need you in this moment. Could you, could you help me out? And, and I had this picture of God's grace that he had like a little tiny bucket, and he would kind of just fill it for that moment. And sometimes, if the truth be known, sometimes I would think that maybe he decided not to help me in that moment. But God said, that's not my grace at all. You, you got it all wrong. I got more grace than you can imagine. I don't know what you're going through. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a marriage problem. Maybe it's a school issue that you're dealing with. Maybe it's something at work. Whatever it is, whatever hard time that you're going through, God's grace is sufficient. I want to play a clip for you, and it's of Niagara Falls. And I just want you to watch it. And I want you to just think about whatever is troubling you in the moment. And I want you to think about God's grace for that moment. Let's play the clip.
His grace is sufficient for the moment you're in right now. His empowering grace is enough for the situation that you find yourself in. It's empowering grace. How do I receive it? How do I receive this grace? This empowering grace. I'm speaking to you, those of you that are believers right now. The empowering grace is received through his word. Through his word. You say, oh, is, is this something I got to do? No. I think that's the problem with the Bible. We think it's something I got to do. But I have found that in moments of tremendous weakness and moments of tremendous pain, I pick up his word. And no matter when it is, I always find life in his word. Empowering grace is received through his word. And in Acts 20, 32, it says, Now I commit to you, God, and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. First Peter tells us like newborn babies, we long for the pure milk of the word. Are you in the word? Is the word in you? Are you allowing the word to come deep within your heart? The word is God's grace to you. It's his living word. Also, I find that God's empowering grace is received together. As we come together as believers, when Peter is writing this letter, he mentions Silvanus, who is Silas. We heard of Paul and Silas. This is a faithful brother, he says. Then he says, the church of Babylon gives you greetings. The church in Babylon, this is the church in Rome that is persecuted, giving you greetings. So we find that, that, that it's found together. And then he talks about Mark, who's his son. We can miss this so many times when we read the New Testament. But the New Testament is written for the church, not just to individuals, but to, to the church. His empowering grace is found through each other. You are ministers of grace when you show up in a, in a community group, a small group. You are literally ministering grace to one another, and the presence of God is there. Matthew 18, 20 says this, For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. The presence of God is there. The empowering presence, the empowering grace is received through submission. Through submission. I know we don't like that word, but I have found tremendous freedom in submission. Tremendous freedom in places of work. Tremendous freedom in, in relationships. Tremendous freedom as I submit to governing authorities. I have found freedom by submitting. And I know that doesn't make sense. But that's what the Bible says. Have you been submitting in your relationships? Have you been submitting like the Word of God says? And you can go through and watch all these, these sermons that we've done through 1 Peter. And just about every one of them talks about submission. Empowering grace is received through submission. 1 Peter 5.5 5 says this. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. When you humble yourself, you empty yourself, and you allow the empowering presence to come into your life. 100 times out of 100, humility always works. 100 times out of 100, pride doesn't work. It says that he opposes the proud. He opposes the proud. The idea there is that he is against you. But he says, humble yourself, and grace is there for you. So as we conclude tonight... 
We end by 1 Peter 5, 14. He says, peace be to you who are in Christ. For some of you, you're not experiencing the peace of God like you should. And I just want you to, to go through what we just talked about with the word. Are you in the word? Are you reading the word? Are you in community together? Are you, are you submitting in relationships? Or is pride rising up in your life? This is very practical. Peter is very practical. He's learned the hard way of what it means to experience God's grace. And he's telling us in his wisdom, in the wisdom of God, he is giving this to us. Peter was one that was there with Jesus in the storm. When the boat was tossing and turning there in Mark 4, 27, and everybody was upset about what was going on and why is Jesus sleeping? And they woke Jesus up. And, and what did Jesus say to the storm? Peace, be still. I don't know what storm you're going through, but God does. And as we stand here in a moment, we're going to stand and, and sing. We're going to have pastors here at the front. For those of you that have been listening to this, this book all throughout, you may have been struggling with some of these things we talked about. Submission, the word, maybe not coming together. I want you to come tonight. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. Pray with somebody and experience the powerful presence of Christ in the moment tonight. For others of you, you're not a believer. You came here tonight, maybe invited by somebody, and we are glad you came. You're like me when I was 13. You realized as I was preaching that you are separated from God and you need him. And without Jesus, there is no peace for you. But Jesus, in his grace, allowed you to come tonight. What prevents you tonight from receiving Jesus? Is there anything? If not, we're going to sing in a moment, and I want you to come forward and take a pastor by the hand. We would love to talk to you about what it means to have Christ in your life. By his grace, he will sustain you. He will empower you. He will save you.